while I read our scripture passage this morning. Um, the sermon text is from Ezekiel 37, very familiar, Valley of Dry Bones. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say, it, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to Mosaic again. We're always so happy that you guys are here with us. It is good to see half of your faces. Uh, on that, Birmingham is supposed to make a call this week on whether or not the mask mandate will extend. And as they're the strictest of the three that we said we'd follow through all of this, we've always said we would follow the strictest rule of city, state, and federal. And so if Birmingham makes that decision, uh, many of you will be free to remove your mask like a giant freedom. I don't know what it's like. I don't know. You've seen funny commercials anyways. Uh, yeah, we're glad to have you here. Also, just so you know, we're going to hear noises come out of those doors, and it's okay to look. The AC's not working on the back half of the room, so your children, if you are a parent, are going to come out sweaty. Not that they don't already come out sweaty, but they're going to come out extra sweaty today because it's a little warm back there. So we've got those doors open, trying to let some cold air get in the back. But speaking of children, and speaking of the summer, and speaking of taking masks off and being free to kind of resume some normal life, and things like that. We're really, really close, obviously. We're all experiencing that, getting some normalcy back in things. We hope this summer to have a lot of normalcy return. One of those is that we hope to have our children's ministry. And I want to clarify, right now we've been kind of offering some form of childcare. And as a church, that is not our goal or our mission. We want to minister to those kids, to disciple them, to love them. Um, the children have not been the problem. They've been relatively safe. It's allowing volunteers to be in the space and, and limiting exposure to family groups. And now that we're moving past that, so this is one of the things I ask is the first Sunday in June is kind of our target goal to start slow rolling some form of children's ministry back out. So there'll be lessons again. 
and there's two rooms open this morning because we had enough volunteers for it, but our goal is to have two rooms open every Sunday to have lessons, those types of things, more of an intentional kind of loving and care for these kids and to get children's ministry going again. That being said, if you look around, there's not a lot of people in here this morning, and that's kind of the theme in the summer, is that it is on the smaller side. So it is a all-hands-on-deck kind of situation where we, we need as many people to help in children's ministry as possible. And so if you are interested in volunteering this summer, uh, hit up me or Kyle or Anna, who is my wife, I am her husband, we'll go both ways to be respectful uh, it's always weird, you know, like, she's always like, I'm Jonathan's husband, or wife, and I'm like, well, I'm your husband, like, it goes both ways, babe. Um, so, Anna, Kyle, me, anyone that's been up here that you've seen talking, hit one of them up and be like, hey, I'll do it. Kids are awesome, they're crazy, it's a long time back there sometimes, but just imagine how long it could be for other people, you know? So give them a break so that the same four or five people don't have to do it the entire time. But we're going to need folks. Uh, we're also trying to get like hospitality stuff back up and rolling. We actually have coffee this morning, and we actually have non-dairy creamer and half and half for those of you that want to dilute your goodness and stain it with cream instead of drinking it in its pure and holy form of black. That's fine. If you are those people, discipleship is an ongoing process. Progressive sanctification is real. You'll learn to love the Lord for who he is and not who you want him to be, okay? Um, that was all a joke. I'm a coffee snob. I'll own it. Uh, but anyway, so that we've got that going. When we want hospitality and things like that to get going, we need volunteers for that. People in the back. There's been poor Holt runs uh, pro presenter every time Emily uh, sings, and I don't even ask him to do it at this point. He just shows up early, and he's like, am I supposed to do it? And I'm like, I guess if you're here. Uh, so we need volunteers in the back. So just w we're trying to get things back going full swing, and we're going to need people. It's all hands on deck this summer. Uh, so if you're around and you're willing to do it, email us, text us, um, grab us after the service, and say, uh, I'm willing to do that. Parents, thank you so much for what you've endured this last year in being in Pandemic Church. I can't stress that enough. Having been at home and watched online church with two children under the age of four, it's difficult. Uh, it's been mostly Anna. She, I think that was her that just cleared her throat there. Uh, but we understand that, and we're really excited. And I'll say this, and then I'm going to stop talking because I did not plan on saying any of these announcement things here, but we got going, and now I can't stop. Um, the uh, last thing is, is this summer, too, like we're going to start events back up. Uh, we're getting dates nailed down. We've got classes that are going to be going on, just ways for us to be engaged and connected, and that'll be happening up here and in people's homes. And so we're really excited about that. And one of the things we haven't done for over a year is that we haven't done what we call a blueprint class, which is just a way to get to know more about Mosaic. And so we'll be offering that and probably end of June, mid-July, somewhere around there as a way to get connected and learn more about who we are as a people and what we think that the church is supposed to be here in the city. We're doing um, events like we're going to do the baseball game on the 4th of July that has become an annual tradition here at Mosaic that we missed last year. The shrimp boil will happen at some point. We've got to get a date locked down for that. It's one of the best events. Uh, if you're single, maybe come. Talk to Adam and Lizzie. It worked out for them. Um, they met each other at the shrimp oil, and now they're married, you know, all these years later. So we're going to be doing fun things like that, and we look forward to that. Small groups are going on, and those are like full swing, and people were getting inside of homes as groups feel comfortable or meeting in person again. Um, so if you're interested in being a part of a small group, let us know that. We would love to get you connected as uh, 
The theme of the summer is being connected and reunited to people. Relationships, community, being around one another. And that's what we're praying for and what we're pushing into. This morning, though, we are talking about Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday. And this is, uh, as I said last week, these appendices sermons, these add-ons to what we just finished in our time in the Creed. And so last week we talked about the ascension of Jesus and what it means that he is at the right hand of the Father and that is very much in the creed. We, we say that every Sunday. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. And then we roll right into, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who is worshipped, the giver of life, all of these things, right? So we're, we're still kind of in the creed, but the whole church collectively across the entire globe this morning is celebrating, or many churches, I should say, those that follow the liturgical calendar, are celebrating and marking this Sunday as a celebration of the giving of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. And in that, what we begin to understand is that this is the gift that was meant for us, the promised helper that Jesus said he would give, that would animate us, that would propel us into action, that would be better for us than Jesus being present with us himself. And last week we talked about that, that that was Jesus's promise, that it would be good for him to go, that he would ascend, and in so doing that we then become his earthly presence. We, the church collectively, universal, the holy Catholic church that we talk about in the creed, that we would become his presence and his body, that his human form would remain on earth as well as fully intact at the right hand of the Father. We talked a lot about what it meant that the church would get to be that. I got a little excited last week about that. If you were here, I, I was hopeful that the church can be this thing where the presence of God is going out into the city, out into the world. This is a good thing. It's an exciting thing that we, the church, are the body. It's a really hopeful thing. Not that much uh, dissimilar to what we see in Ezekiel, right before chapter 37. Chapter 36, uh, these verses can be on the screen but if you want to read along with me. But there's four verses I'm going to highlight from chapter 36. It's this hopeful, exciting vision of what the people of God were meant to be. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your, all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The promise of the Lord continues. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield to Israel's plea and do this for them. I will make their people as numerous as sheep, as numerous as the flocks for offerings at Jerusalem. During her appointed festivals, so will the ruined cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is a hopeful and exciting promise for the people of Israel, much like it is to be proclaimed to or told that we are meant to be the very body of Jesus. It is a hopeful thing. It's an exciting thing. And yet some of you may be wondering, how is that possible? It may not feel real to you. I'm going to read another uh, passage from Scripture from Psalm 137. This is the context. This is written at the same time as Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is set as a prophet that the people of Israel have been exiled to Babylon. 
Now, in ancient Near Eastern times, to be exiled from and to be uh, removed from your country is the same as to be exiled and removed from your God. Your God was as strong as your country, your military. This is why there's so much overlap here. This is the language and the culture of the ancient Near East. So the people of God have been wiped out, and if you've read Scripture, you are familiar with the fact that they were giving, given warning after warning, uh, judgment after judgment, opportunity after opportunity to repent and to turn, to correct their ways, and they've become nothing. Not even a shell. They, they don't exist, essentially. They're gone. They're completely in exile. And this is the backdrop for that hopeful message of Ezekiel 36. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept. We remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, meaning they gave up playing music. There was no more worship. There our captors asked for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Their response, how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on that day when Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its very foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is not a very hopeful or exciting passage. And I didn't like chop off the end of the psalm here. That's how it ends. It's one of like two or three psalms that don't end with any kind of resolution, that end completely sort of in despair. Just a pastoral aside, take uh, some encouragement in that on those days that despair feels overwhelming. There is a place in scripture where the lament and not being able to get to hope is actually canonized. It is there for us to be able to read alongside of the people of God for generation after generation. Eventually he gets there though, we know the story. But in this, like, this is the people of Babylon, or the people of Israel in Babylon, completely hopeless. How can we sing songs of joy? How can this be? So when you read Ezekiel 37, and he's standing there looking at the valley of dry bones, and he asks, can these bones live? It is not some like nod to God's sovereignty and good theology. Like Ezekiel, Ezekiel is not saying in this moment like, oh, I know the right answer is only through you, Lord. I don't know if you're guilty of that. I'm sometimes guilty of that. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, you know, like only through God. But really the whole time I'm thinking like, I'm going to do it. It'll be fine. This is not what's happening here. In this moment, Ezekiel alongside of the people of Israel in exiles in utter despair. I think it has a hinge of like legitimate cynicism here. He's looking at this and he's saying, how can it be? This is the songs they're singing in Babylon, songs of destruction and of death. No songs of joy, no songs of hope. And so there's the vision and the prophecy of chapter 36, the proclamation that God will do this. This is the promise, and he's asking how. 
How can this be? So he is caught up in the Spirit. The Spirit of God led him to a place. This is a Bible speak for he had a dream or a vision. Uh, the Hebrew direct translation would be a dream vision, so you can go with both. It carries the connotation of both. So maybe he was sleeping, maybe he was daydreaming. And in it, the Spirit of God gave him something to see in his mind's eye. And what he sees is a valley of bones. Now this wouldn't like be, uh, as Kyle said in his sermon that I read that was so well written, uh, you can ask him about that afterwards if you want. Uh, we got mixed up on which week who was preaching when. Uh, but what this is not like a battlefield where flesh, fresh blood has been spilled. This is not someone that like maybe there's a little bit of life left in them. The image conjured up here is a valley of dry bones. That means the flesh has completely rotted away from the bone. There is nothing left. There would not even be stench left. This is nothing, utter and total decay, the complete and utter opposite of any kind of life. There is nothing that exists here. Dry, weary, broken, shattered pile of bones. You wouldn't even be able to possibly recognize. I don't know if you've ever been in the woods and you've come across like completely dried out bones and you like can't make out what animal is left. When there's a little bit of flesh around it, it's kind of gross, but you're like, oh, that was probably a squirrel, poor guy. But when you come across like completely dry bones, unless you're really smart, you know, Nicole Connor would probably be able to identify a fish for us by piecing the bones back together or something like that. Other smart people in the room may be able to do some of these things. But me, like I see bones and I'm like, well, somebody was lunch, I guess, and the bones were left to dry out. There's nothing left. It's utter destruction. There is no life. There's no form here. And Ezekiel's probably looking at this valley of dry bones and saying, like, yeah, see, Lord, how can chapter 36 be true? How can you possibly restore us? How can you possibly do this thing with us again? How can you possibly reanimate us into what we were intended or supposed to be? It's nothing. We are utterly destroyed. All is lost. There is no hope. There is no joy. It is death, 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 death. And that's what he sees. And God speaks to him and he says, can these bones live? And I think in despair and in like deep, profound theology tied up together, he says, only through you, Lord. Only you know and only you can do it. So the Lord says to him, then speak. Speak to these bones. And so Ezekiel speaks. And the bones are formed together. This would be a, a wonderful animation, especially, uh, I'll quote Kyle again here, it's like a very metal scene. Like, this is hardcore. These bones coming back together reanimating, being recreated, seeing the, the sinew and the flesh and the muscle come back onto them. The bones being formed into bodies, and yet then they lay lifeless still. And Ezekiel prays a prayer that we pray again and again. Come Holy Spirit, come Spirit, come breath. And the breath breathes life into the death. And they're brought back. And they stand before Ezekiel. 
And the Lord says, this is my people. And in essence, what he's saying is, this is what I promised to do. Is to bring back life where there was none. To recreate where creation has been completely undone. To restore where all has been lost and broken. He's invited and asked to participate in this by prophesying towards it. By speaking life and hope over it. By naming what is true of these bones and that that is that the sovereign Lord would will them to be brought back together. It's interesting in this uh, one chapter, you have one word that is repeated uh, again and again, but you wouldn't necessarily notice it or see it in our English translations. I think I used this word when I talked about the Spirit in our Creed series, but it is the Hebrew word ruach. It's not a COVID-friendly word because you really got to get in the throat and sometimes a little bit of saliva will come out as you ruach. A little spit goes with it. You got to get deep in the throat. It's a fun word to say. This is the word meaning spirit, breath, soul, wind. This word's all over the Old Testament. And uh, if you are fans of the Bible Project, they have a really great podcast on the Holy Spirit. And they're like, Ezekiel, Tim Mackey, uh, who is the main guy behind the Bible Project in regards to the theology. He, He says that like Ezekiel 37 is a case study or like a perfect example of how this one word can be used throughout the entire Old Testament. It's a play on words of what you're seeing here, of God's action, of what we see in the Spirit. I'm not really interested in a word study per se in this moment, but it's worth mentioning because what I want to bring uh, our attention to, I guess, is how this word or how this action of what's happening in Ezekiel 37, more than just the word, but what the Lord is promising to do with Ezekiel, what Yahweh is saying he will complete, is something that is done all throughout Scripture. That the Spirit of God would come and breathe life and bring animation and bring uh, creation to what is empty, formless, or void. The first place you encounter this Hebrew word is in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the and the earth. Now the earth was formless. It was empty. There was nothing. There was darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Ruach, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. A few verses later, a little further down in Genesis, God creates man, and man is formless, or he's no longer formless, but he is not full of life, and he Ruachs, Ruach, into him. God breathes breath into Adam. He takes something that was not and he brings it by placing his spirit in it and creates it to be something that he intends for it to be. He gives it purpose, meaning, life, activity, animation. There's something happening there. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see it in Exodus 14, The Ruach blows over the Red Sea and it parts it. It's God making a way where there is no way is what this word is signaling. And Ezekiel uses this word multiple times in a few short verses to bring the Hebrew reader in mind and thus ours through study and understanding that what Ezekiel is saying is that this is what God does. 
This is who Yahweh is. And do not give up hope on that. Where God makes promises, we can trust that He is good to deliver because this is His character and His nature. Where all seems lost and hopeless, where all seems impossible, it is Yahweh who is always doing this work. His life, His breath, His being, His existence is always moving, acting, and is all around As I prayed this week, and I was thinking about the Ascension sermon that I just preached, and I was thinking about the excitement that I felt in that passage and in that sermon. I was thinking about the hope that I have for us as a community here, as Mosaic. I was thinking of like why I do what it is that I do, why I'm willing to be a pastor, to stand up and preach, because I believe that the church is good that it is the body of Christ, that, that it is holy, sacred, set apart, that it is the bride. I believe that not all hope is lost, but I had to be honest with myself at the beginning of the week, reflecting on that sermon, that there is part of me that finds myself still kind of frustrated by it all. The reality of that, like a lot of times the church and Christians and believers, and if I'm completely honest myself, doesn't always live up to the hype and the expectation. I find myself oftentimes lacking, short of what I know that God intends or wants for me to be. I think for many of us on an individual level, this has been wildly true in this past year. It's been a difficult year. I have found myself lacking hope and joy when I desperately want hope and joy. I have found myself angry when I want peace. I have found myself unable to be long-suffering and patient. Instead, I'm full of anxiousness and anxiety. And I pray to the Lord, Lord, deliver me from this. Deliver me from this. Come, Holy Spirit, do the thing that you're supposed to do. And oftentimes, when I've repeated this cycle now for three and a half decades... I can find myself feeling like it would just be much easier to run, right? Just be done with it. Because obviously I can't change this. This is impossible for me to do this. I read story after story, people that have influenced me, heroes of the faith of my own, walking away from the church again and again and again, scandal. And these are just Christian things. Like now like you open that circle even wider and you read the news and, and we get to thing after thing. We talked about it this spring, like another police shooting of, an, of a black man. Like another racial tension moment, another repeat of whatever travesty we're finding ourselves in, a hacking of a gas pipeline. Like can anything go right, right? Like we can give ourselves to this despair. More so this last year, I think, than ever. And we find ourselves again and again being brought to this place of going like, is there any hope? I think for a lot of us, we ask that question about the church. Yeah, Jonathan, that sounds good, being the body and all, being united. But the reality of it is, is we look around and we're like, the church is about as divided now as it has ever been. The country feels that way sometimes. I think that's more narrative than truth. But it can feel that way. This is the most 
divided we've ever been. Not entirely true, but we get the sentiment. So where is unity in this, Jonathan? Where is this being the people? Where is this empowering spirit that can bring us together? I think we have to sit and see Ezekiel and say he's in the spirit of God that can animate us. Despite all the sad news that we may find ourselves uh, being consumed by, despite all of our own frustrations with the church, despite our very own lack of trust towards humanity, towards uh, people in a power and authority, people leading, despite the fact that we live in a society where experts can't be trusted because we just don't trust anyone, and all of this, we have hope. And we believe that there is one that can be trusted. And what I, uh, I'll say this last thing about what my frustration is and my honest evaluation is I get frustrated and bothered, and I think most importantly by the fact that the church in all of that should have something really prophetic to say to it, and yet oftentimes we lack it. Because we are just as broken and disorganized and ununified as everyone around us. A world desperately needs a prophetic word of hope. And if we're honest, we oftentimes lack the ability to step into that. But this is what I believe and I am convinced of. In the midst of this world that can find itself or feel like is being torn apart being fractured into pieces in the midst of a culture that is steeped in death and destruction, the glorification of power, in the midst of what feels like hopelessness and gut-wrenching cries of humanity. There is an existence of a people that is made alive and brought together by the power of the Holy Spirit. That they are bound together in flesh and body here as we gather and center ourselves around the Word. And that we collectively as a people that love and care and serve and submit to one another can be a testament to a whole new way of being human. One that is animated and empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. In the face of it all, in death, dismay, hopelessness, we have a ready answer for how, what do we do? Is there hope? What do we do? Is there even a way forward? What do we do? Should we just cancel the church? And we say no. Because what we say and what we see in Scripture is that we continue to enact the life that is stronger than the death that tries to destroy us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given power to stare that death in its face and say, no, that is not the final answer. We know that there is a way where there seems to be no way, and that is the gift of Pentecost, and that is what we celebrate this Sunday. We celebrate that the answer to can these bones live is you better believe they can.
We celebrate that where there was no life, life was given. Where death and destruction seemed to have the final word, the final word was resurrection and hope. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. 7 times 7, 49 plus 1. Numbers matter in Hebrew thought and idea. This means it is completion, fullness, wholeness. It means that it was brought to the very thing that it was always intended to be. On Pentecost, God's Spirit was breathed into His people. And we today are those dry bones being pieced together and formed and shaped and having life just like pushed into us by the Spirit of God. We are the completion, the fulfillment of what God intended it to be. And yes, we have our shortcomings and our failures. But what we know is that the promise of God and the story of Scripture is that again and again, just as it was in the Old Testament, it is in the New Testament and beyond. Every time the church or God's creation or the people of God or the people of Israel, whatever name you want to call it, the story is the same when the failure seems too much. When the hope seems lost, when death and decay seem to be the final word, the story of Christianity is that restoration, resurrection, and like reclaiming life is the actual final word. And that spirit is breathed into us and it animates us as his people to do the thing that we were always intended to do, to be the thing we were always intended to be, to go and to exist in a world of and to give life as the Spirit lives and reigns through us as we are an extension of His body. And this is why we celebrate Pentecost. As the band comes back up, we're going to move into our time of communion. We celebrate this Spirit in us, for we know that it is the very Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That very same Spirit lives and reigns in us, creating within us a powerful, resurrected people, creating a powerful, Pentecostal people. A people of the Spirit. Bringing hope, life, joy. In places where it seems lost. In the creed, one of the things we profess and proclaim is that we believe the Spirit has spoken through the prophets. And we see Ezekiel, the prophet, speaking life and hope into death and destruction. And what I think is as we take the body and the cup and we are reminded of the hope and the power we have in Christ and His sacrifice for us and His gift to us and His resurrection life, is that we collectively can be a people that does speak a prophetic word to the culture around us that does speak a word of life and hope based off of this. We come and we receive the body broken for us and the blood poured out in order that we may be able to take that body and that blood and extend it to a world around us that is in desperate need of it.
It unites us, it holds us together, it forms us, and it shapes us into becoming this people. So take the body that is broken for you, for your provision and your sustenance, and eat. And the cup poured out for the forgiveness of your sins and drink. Father, we ask and we pray in this moment that you would come, Holy Spirit, and be among us. That you would do the thing that you've always promised to do, which is to be near us and animate us. Give us wisdom and insight and the ability, Lord God, to hear the word that you would long for us to speak over a culture and a world that is in desperate need of life and hope. Lord, you would do the thing in your spirit, which is unify us and unite us, complete us and make us whole within one another, bring patience and kindness towards one another, that we might live a joyous people and in the face of what seems to be utterly lost, we might be able to sing songs of joy so that a watching and waiting and desperate world may find the glory and hope that is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we be a Pentecostal and spirit-filled people. In Jesus' name.